Jonah chapter four is a, I love, I love this book. I love the way this book ends. It is not the typical ending that you like to have in any story you read or any movie you watch. You like everything buttoned up, tied together, have the warm fuzzies when it's over and have some sort of heroic charge, just like I'm going to feel today after the Patriots won the Super Bowl, you know? So nobody booed that. That's, a, that's a, Haters can hate all you want. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. No, I was kidding. Uh, you're, gonna, you're like, I hope he eats just humble pie next week. <laughs> I don't care. Put it on public, on the radio. It's going to be online. Patriots win the Super Bowl. <laughs> just kidding. But more exciting than that, more exciting than that is um, really how this book ends because the way that this, this book concludes, I think, gives us a lot of hope as individuals in where we are in our walk with God and the security that we can have in that, not because of us, but because of Jesus. And really your, your relationship to God is the foundation for everything that we are and everything that we do in this world. What you're going to find is throughout this text, throughout this book, Jonah responds with a lot of anger and the action of anger really comes from a place of insecurity. And, and, and even on the other end, like you may label, you, you can think of some, maybe some people, it's not, <laughs> maybe not name drop here, but they, they tend to be flying off the cuff all the time and I'm not like them. But as soon as someone brings a charge against you, you might say to yourself, well, I don't always react the way I should. And so my behavior is justified, right? But really in this story, when you're going to see Jonah in anger, just retaliating, 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 you see this consistency in who the Lord is that, that really points some significant things for us and our relationship with God and how, how God walks in our lives. So let me just jump into the text without telling you everything about the text before we read it. But you, you think in this story, Jonah goes to Nineveh. Remember how the story starts? He's, he's, he's called to go to Nineveh. He's like, no way. I know this beachfront property. I'm hanging out there, God. No way I'm going to Nineveh. Those are, those are our enemies. I love my people more than I love them. And I love my people more than I like following after you. And so because I want to I love my people more, I'm not going where you call me to go. I'm not walking 500 miles into the desert, into this place with these people that have attacked us. They hate us. They've done gruesome things. I'm not going there. I'm, I'm going over here. See you later. God, God loves Jonah enough, God loves Jonah unconditionally, that he doesn't allow Jonah to run away. He permits Jonah to, to, to run, but he, you're, never, you're never so far from the grace of God. And so what we see at the end of Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 is God appointed a fish. And he uses that fish as a way to draw Jonah back to him, draw Jonah back into walking with him, living life with him. And Jonah's praying in chapter two before the Lord. And eventually what we find in the story is that Jonah obeys God. He goes, uh, he goes 500 miles from his hometown into the area of Nineveh and he preaches this message and 120,000 people come to know the Lord. How do I know it's 120,000 people? Well, the end of Jonah tells us it's 120,000 people. I mean, it's the kind of thing if Christians are, are, are in the Lord and, and, and just carry the heart for God's, uh, God, God f- towards the people in a city in a valley, that this is the kind of thing we would just rejoice over. How do you feel, Jonah? And Jonah chapter four starts, but it greatly displeased Jonah. Jeez. Why don't you tell us how you really feel? I mean, everyone else is all excited about this and, and you're greatly displeased. And then the very next phrase, and he became angry. All right, Jonah, let's just get it all out on the table, right? 
Next couple of verses, Jonah explains to us his perspective. He, and it's interesting when he, as he explains this, because he has an accurate picture of God. Just the wrong attitude. And they say worship happens when you're seeking God for who he is and what he desires. And these passages, these two verses are the opposite of that. It says in verse 2, he, he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, the beach. I'm gone. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. I'd rather be dead, really, God, than honor you and what you desire, because I know what your nature is. And then God's response. I don't know how many lives Jonah has. <laughs> but he's quickly using them up here. Like, it's just like, God, you, you look at this story, you're like, okay, God, now you're going to get mad. Right? Now you're going to hate Jonah. Finally, he's, he's pushed you over the limit. And you've boiled over and you're just so frustrated with him. I can see it's coming here. And then in verse four, you get God's response. And the Lord said, Jonah, do you really have a good reason to be angry? Now, let me just let the cat out of the bag here um, in scripture. When God asks questions like this, He already knows the answer. So when God poses this question to Jonah, we can go ahead and and presume by the context of what we understand who God is and his nature and being all-knowing, he's not asking this question for him. So God's response and frustration towards Jonah in this passage, if he were fed up with Jonah, if Jonah had pushed him past some point, his, his reaction to this would be just away a with Jonah. But I've shared without the context, through the context of this book of the story of Jonah that the point of Jonah, it, I don't even see it. It's not, it's not about 120,000 people in Nineveh, though that's great. It's not about a fish, though that's pretty cool. Not for me if that happened, but that I could see it happen to someone else. I mean, that's, that's a cool story. But the point of the story of Jonah is about one man's experience in his walk with God. how God continues to pursue after Jonah in the condition of his heart. And here in this passage in verse four, God's asking this question and is saying to us that what God isn't doing is that God isn't reacting in anger, anger. The reason God's not reacting in his anger is because he already understands who he is in his nature. See, that has a lot to do with the way that we react to the, to how people treat us. When we understand the identity that we carry in Jesus, whatever charge is brought against us because our identity is secure, it dictates our response. 
And here in, in, in chapter four, verse two, we find that the, the, the reason that God's not reacting to Jonah in this is because Jonah has already identified the nature which God possesses. And the very thing that God is front or the very thing that Jonah is frustrated about towards God is the same thing that is sparing his own life. So God isn't reacting in anger because he knows who he is. Insecure people are the ones that react. But the identity of who God is in this passage is securely presented to us in verse two. And hypocritically, Jonah uses that charge against God, not even recognizing in his own life, it's the very thing that he desires and needs. Justice for everything, everyone else, God, but but grace for me. And here what we find in the story in verse four, and the reason God's asking this question to Jonah is because anger, anger is revealing something about Jonah's heart. It's his defense mechanism. He could be angry out of fear, out of hurt, out of insecurity, out of depression, but, but Jonah's reacting in anger and God's just identifying this in this moment to help Jonah through this moment because the point of the story of Jonah is about Jonah and his journey with God. Remember I told you in the beginning when, you, when someone mentions the word Jonah instantly, the thing that we think of in our mind is, Often the fish, right? And the Sunday school story goes, big fish swallows him. And so the main point about Jonah is fish. And, and the fish has nothing to do with it. It was just a tool. For what? To communicate Jonah chapter four, verse two to us in what God desires for us as people. That the only reason that we've given opportunity to have today has nothing to do with how lovable I've made myself before God. But everything to do with this compassion and grace that's been dis- dis- demonstrated towards us, despite us. What's interesting about Jonah is when you, when you consider who he is as an individual, this is a guy who studied God's word. He, he is a prophet. He, he obeyed all the rules and in verse or chapter one, chapter two, we see him responding rebelliously. And then in chapter three, you see him responding religiously. Meaning he does what we would qualify externally as good. He obeys God and goes to Nineveh. But his heart still doesn't belong to God. And it's possible to be good still not connect to God. What often happens in our lives when we become religious people is that we, we, we base our spiritual status on performance. And you sort of treat God like this, that God, if I push all the buttons the right way, you're going to do exactly what I want you to do because I, I, have, I have captured you to be my slave, right? So I, I obey these rules and therefore you are now obligated to position yourself below me because I have elevated myself above you, obligating you to do as I desire because I have done all of the religious rules. And yet God in verse four identifies Jonah, you're angry for a reason. 
And he uses the context of chapter 4 to dive even deeper into the problem before, before he gives the solution. And so it goes into verse 5. It says this, Then Jonah went out from the city, and he sat east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Now what Jonah's doing here is not very God-loving or gracious. If you remember in in chapter 3, and Jonah in verse 4, this is the message he shared with Jonah. Then Jonah began to go through the city in one one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah, you've obeyed God, you've gone into Nineveh, you've shared the message that God wanted you to share. Now you can leave. What's Jonah do? He goes up on the city and he waits. Why? He wants to see day 40. God, I want to watch you destroy him. And so while God is on the throne over the city, really, Jonah, Jonah puts himself on the throne above the city and just looking and hoping for the destruction of Nineveh. And so you see in verse 1, verse 2, Jonah's frustration, Jonah's anger. Then you see in, in verse 5, Jonah's frustration, Jonah's anger. And then in verse 6, 7, and 8, I want to tell you, when I, when I first became a believer, I remember reading the book of Jonah early on. And when I first read this, my initial reaction to this is, ha-ha, God's finally getting you. Like, you finally made him mad because of the things that happened. So when you, when you read this, when you read this, this section of Scripture, it says, So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a, a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. So you say, oh, that's, that's so nice. God's still... Still loves you, right? And then it says in verse 7, and Jonah was extremely happy about the plant, but God appointed a worm. And when, he, when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered, when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his souls to die, saying, death is better to me than life. So what you see in the story, right? been waiting the whole time to do this. Kevin Bacon gets me every time. But what you see in the story is God, God creates this awesome plant. And then Tremor shows up and eats the plant. And then the storm comes and, and it just pelts Jonah. I mean, if it's, there's any indication just how stubborn his heart is. If you're ever in a storm that's just beating down on you, here, here's what you need to do. Uh, go somewhere else. Go anywhere else. Like, don't just sit there in anger. But Jonah is so angry and frustrated. He's like, I'll show you, God. I'm going to sit right here. You know, and the, the, storm just, the storm just beats down on him. And so when you read the story, you're like, yeah, God's finally getting you, Jonah. You deserve every bit of this. You thought you had this cool plant. God toyed with your emotions, right? And then he, and then he just shows up with tremors, eating your, eating your plant. And then, and then the storm comes. Ha! Brett. But then you realize as you read the context of this passage, what it's actually saying. Remember Jonah chapter 1, verse 17? God appointed a what? Fish. What that phrase meant to us is that Jonah was running away from God. And God was running after him in the fish. 
But it wasn't because he was surprised by Jonah's reaction. In fact, before it ever happened, God had appointed this fish. Before Jonah even fell, rejected God and ran away, God appointed a fish because he knew that's exactly what he needed. And same thing again. God appointed a plant and he took away the plant and he brought a storm. Not because he was interested in destroying Jonah or killing Jonah or just retaliating to Jonah. God doesn't react. This was planned. And so rather than communicating God's destruction against Jonah, what it's communicating is God's gracious compassion to him. See, sometimes in our lives, we're, we're interested in the circumstance. Right? God changed the circumstance. God changed the circumstance. God changed the circumstance. And if God were to change the circumstance, if we're being honest, the only reason that we came to God in the first place was because of the circumstance. And as soon as the circumstance changes, it's just like we forget that God showed up. Now, I'm not saying every bad circumstance is some divine punishment from God in this world or um, it may, may, may not necessarily fall in the context that we're reading today, but what, what I am saying in this passage is that sometimes we're interested in the circumstance, but more than the circumstance, what God is interested in is the heart of the individual going through the circumstance. And he cares so much that the, the circumstance becomes the very tool that God uses to communicate what he's most concerned about, which is your heart in the moment. See, it's possible in our lives for everything to go, go great, go well, and still be empty. It's also possible in our lives for things on the outside to not look so great, but for God to fill us up. Which is why regardless of the the circumstance, what God is most interested is in the heart because if he can replenish and fuel and and minister to the heart, the heart is what's strengthened to go through any circumstance. And so when God is sharing this story with Jonah, it's it's not the attitude of, of, of punishing Jonah. What he's actually saying to Jonah is when when you aren't in tune with God, you look to everything else to satisfy. But yet when our circumstances are empty, it helps our hearts to redirect to what is important. And and then in verse 9, God does it again. Then God said to Jonah, Just like verse four. Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Trying your heart right now. All that's happened in Nineveh, all that's happened with the whale, all that's happened with this plant. It's all, all for this. My, my pursuit is your life. And, and it's like, Jonah, when are you going to get it, man? Jonah's response at the latter half of this verse is, and he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. It's like saying, God, you may think my anger is not right, but you're a plant murderer. 
Yeah, but Jonah, you're a people murderer. Came and recognize that in, in your own life that your anger, your anger is destroying people. I mean, you could get all religious about this and be like, well, no, not really. Uh, Jonah doesn't want to kill the people. He wants God to do it. So that's all right, right? In fact, James chapter four, verses one and two says that. When you're angry, it kills. When James is writing that passage in James chapter four, verses one and two, he's not talking, he's not talking to murderers. He's talking to, to Christians. So let me read it. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so that you fight and quarrel. What what he's saying to Jonah is that you carry the attitude of a murderer. It destroys. It may not physically destroy people, but at least it destroys relationships. And God has created us for those. The greatest command, loving God, loving others. It's about your relationship to the Lord and relationship to each other. And when anger enters in that equation, it kills. It kills your relationship to God. It kills your relationship with others. You look at verse 10 and 11. And Jonah, in a story, God finally dives into the situation. He's saying, okay, Jonah, you're not getting it. So let me, let me just paint this picture for you. Okay. I mean, we, we, as people, someone offends us. That's always justifiable reason to be the bigger rear end back, right? Sorry, was that uncouth? Whoever's the largest moron in the end wins. And I'm justified because you wronged me first. And then God just speaks to Jonah. The Lord said, think about this, Jonah. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? the great city in which there are more than 1,200 persons who do not know the difference between the right and left hand and also much cattle. Can I just let this cat out of the bag and say, when people that don't know Jesus act ignorant, don't be surprised. The more shocking thing is that when Christians who know Jesus retaliate to that and act just as foolish... (laughs) And that's what he's saying in, in verse 10 and 11 here. But what, what God is doing in verse 10 and 11, he's also showing Jonah his priorities are messed up and who's really in charge, right? So Jonah's sitting over, over Nineveh as if he is the king on the throne. And God is reminding Jonah, no, it's, it's not you, but I am the one who really sits as the king on the throne. And Jonah, you care about what you shouldn't. You don't care about what you should. And you're so stuck in self that your anger is mutilating the relationships for which I've called you to. Can I tell you maybe one of the 
one of the things that Jonah's done here in this passage by being mad about this plant is he, he centered his joy on things that disappoint. If your joy is based on circumstances, because it, it will always, always come back to disappoint you. If your joy is based on someone or something, it will disappoint you. And I put it in the context of where we are right now. It's to say it like this. And I hope when I say I, I really want it to be all of us, but I don't serve, don't be offended by this for a minute, but I don't serve at ABC because you guys are awesome. I know that's hard to believe. I mean, some of you think it, I, I, I am fantastic, but okay, let's, let's roll with this, right? Like, I, I don't serve at Alpine Bible Church because you guys are awesome. I serve at ABC because Jesus is awesome. See, if I come to a place like this and serve because I think the people are great, eventually in that service at some time, people will disappoint me and my joy will be gone and I will become angry because I put the expectation on you. But I already know who we are. We are broken people. We're in people in need of Jonah chapter four, verse two in all of our lives. This is why Israel reads this book every year on Yom Kippur and says, I am Jonah. I hope it's not in you. If it were, I would have to quit <laughs> at some point. It's not saying that at some, some, some attempt in my life that I could stray and it, it could be in that way. I could, without even recognizing, put my hope and expectations in other things. But, but I, I, I acknowledge here verbally so that my heart hopefully continues to connect to this. My, my hope is always in the Lord because he is the one that does not disappoint. He is the one whose nature is always consistent. He is the one that never fails. And even in my failures, does not give up. If anyone has tested him over and over and over to demonstrate this, it's Jonah. And Jonah, in, in this passage, even, even modified his behavior. He did what God wanted. He went to Nineveh. He said the words he was supposed to say. But God wasn't after behavior modification. God's after his heart transformation. I like, I like the way it ends here. Some translations uh, have this ending. Other ones translate a little bit differently. They just refer to animals, but, but here's, the, here's what he says. It says 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between right and left hand and also much cattle, Jonah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't forget the cows. <laughs> it, it's kind of like he's saying... How about this? Another great illustration for you here. He's like, he's saying, he's saying to us, um, Jonah, if you don't care about people, I mean, at least care about the animals. What about the animals? He's going, he's going all Sarah McLaughlin on us. In the arms of an angel. Right? Donate today and you can save a life. Far away from here. If you don't care about people, at least care about the cows, Jonah. 
I mean, how bad does it have to be where you're like, nothing, I care for nothing except for the plant. Can I tell you one of the ways I want to be careful here? We recognize Jonah's got some problems, right? What I want to be careful with is to recognize and say to ourselves, okay, if I, if I relate to this in any way, um, which we all should, but you're not the one that transforms yourself. Like the answer isn't, oh, I've done bad, I need to do good so that God embraces me. The answer is because of who you are and where you are, you need to go to God because he is the one that transforms. It's not your strength. It has nothing to do with you and your ability. It's, it's laying yourself down before God because he is the one that's come for you. He is the one that's given his life for you. He is the one that indwells you by his spirit. He is the one that transforms your heart. And here's what we need to see in this context is that when we, when we screw up, when we mess up, when we fail, when we get angry and all of those things, God's nature doesn't react God doesn't all of a sudden be like, oh, that was the last, that's the last straw for me. I'm going to show you who's boss. That's not God. That might be some fictitious thought that you have about God, but what God's interest in in all of that is our heart. And so the response to that, when you read Jonah chapter four, verse two, rather than run away from God, rather than try to show God that you're worthy of his love, rather than try to transform yourself because he has compassion and, and loving kindness and he's slow to anger and he extends his grace. The answer then is to turn and run to him. Seek his face. God, I'm yours. I think the reason this book ends just so weird with cows and messy, the reason it ends that way is so we can stop and be like, hey, that's me. Man, I'm messy too. This journey with God, it's it's not like this, I, I come to Jesus, everything's perfect. It's this consistent walk with God where on that journey, I mess up, I fail. I, I feel like a failure and, and God is compassionate and God renews me and God transforms me in his image and God brings me the security in his identity, not my own because in my identity apart from it, it is no good. But in his identity, it lifts me up and it elevates me in Jesus and it gives me opportunity to continue to seek his face. That's why when you look at a story like the story of Nineveh where 120,000 people come to know the Lord and you think about your own valley and what God does, you don't have to quit because you feel like you failed because it's all in Jesus that this thing takes place. It's what gives me the strength regardless of my past to think about a future. And to sing Sarah McLaughlin if I feel led. And so when we hope in things that fail, the, the tendency in our heart is to get angry and disappointed. You know, the benefit of that moment is that reaction reveals your heart. That's why God asked Jonah the questions that he did. So let me ask you, what was the last thing you got angry about? Did your anger express what God wanted? Yes. 
Well, if it did, did your anger express the way God wanted it? And did you use it to speak life or to crush it? You know, the joy of the story, the joy of the story, even though Jonah is a brat, (laughs) same thing that Jonah hates God for is also the same thing that brings God near in his rebellion. God's still interested, even in the brokenness of his heart, God is still interested in his heart. So you get to the end of the story and you ask then, where is that for me? Where is it that God shows up and reveals this and demonstrates this for my life? And the answer, we've said it from the beginning and I just want to draw our hearts there. Jesus in Luke 11, verse 30. Just as Jonah came, became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jesus, of course, is the Son of Man. Three days, three nights in the heart of the earth for you and for me. The compelling thought of that for us is that Jesus, by his death and sacrifice, has offered the continual gate for us to be able to enter into his presence and experience the reason for which we are created is the transforming work that he does in our lives. It's saying to us, just like God cared for Jonah in this moment, so God cares for you. Whether you're a believer or not, this is how the journey starts for all of us. We stop in our moments, in our tracks, whatever's got us frustrated, whatever we might be angry about from people who don't know Jesus, acting like they don't know Jesus, whatever that excuse is. I'm rebellious. I am rebellious. My heart can be selfish. Run from God, be distant from God. Uh, in fact, that's what the gospel message is, right? Like it's not do good so God accepts you. It's it's that we're all rebellious from His kingdom and need His grace. We need His grace. And Jonah experienced it in his life over and over. And even in messy, just ends messy so that we can see how God consistently is going to show up in, in Jonah's life. And the same is true for us. Why? Because to have him is to have everything. And to see the way he responds to us, even in our failures, and, and even with all the excuses, and even all the reasons we could give for why we act the way we act, the fact is that we still do, and God still loves, and God still desires to transform, and God still wants to bring us mercy. If we but one thing, abandon everything to seek his face. God transform me. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. 
If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.